lady. I think worthy of our study this morning because I think there are so many life lessons from David and Nabal and Abigail that I think uh, we, there's a lot for us to learn and grow by from this particular passage in 1 Samuel 25. Did all of you get my notes that I sent out? Okay, if you didn't get them in by email or U.S. mail, there are some here today. Did everybody get a copy today? Okay, all right, so we're going to talk about Abigail. I've sort of titled it Abigail, Heart of a Servant, and my goal is to try to help us learn something from Scripture that will make us more like Jesus Christ, more like him. That's, that's our goal, to be more like Jesus, right? All right, so that's what we're going to try to learn. I'm going to read this in 1 Samuel and um, you read along with me after we pray. Lord, we just ask you to have your way in our service this morning, that you would teach us your word. May you be glorified and may your people be edified as we try to do those things that are always pleasing in your sight so that we may hear you say one day, well done, my good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm reading from 1 Samuel chapter 25. I'm starting at verse 2. I'll be reading from different translations. I'm going to start with the New Living because it's kind of a, a long passage. I won't read it all, but I'll hit and miss some points that I think are very important to us. Okay, it says in verse 2 of 1 Samuel 25, we're talking about Abigail, the heart of a servant, and it reads, There was a wealthy man from Moan who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats, and it was sheep shearing time. That means it's about harvest time. It's when they get paid. Sheep shearing time is when they shear the sheep and the goats. They harvest what the wool that's collected, and it's a time where they sell it, take it to market, or sell it to resellers. And it's a very important time. Two times a year this happens in the Jewish calendar. And it's a time for celebration, parties. Everyone is gleeful. They're, they're, the servants usually get some time off. It's, it's, it's payday. It's just a great time in the neighborhood. So this is a great part of the year if you are a goat herder or a cattle rancher or a farmer. And verse 3 says, this man's name was Nabal. And by the way, I think I've, I've said this before. Please try not to name your son. Mothers, mothers, if you, mothers that are in the childbearing years of your life or will be getting there, try to avoid the name Nabal because it's just not a good name. Actually, the word, the, the Greek translation of the word Nabal in, in uh, Corinthians is that it's the same word as Belial or the devil, Satan. It also means fool in Hebrew or thou fool or foolish or folly so it's basically not a good name to put on your child and especially it's doubly bad when a person lives up to that name uh, but it says this person's name was Nabal and his wife Abigail was a sensible and beautiful some translations and I like those better use the word intelligent and beautiful woman but Nabal a descendant of Caleb was crude and mean some translations will use the word surly and mean some will say that he was hard. 
He was unreasonable. He was just a very difficult, mean, narrow, petty guy. You know the type? Ever met anybody that fits that description, male or female? Yeah. There's quite a few Nabals still walking around, unfortunately. Unfortunately, some might even still be in Christian circles. He was a descendant of Caleb, which means he was of the tribe of Judah, which is unfortunate because Caleb was a great dude. And if you're thinking of another boy's name to use instead of Nabal, use Caleb. Because Caleb was a great guy, one of the two spies that came back with a positive report. Who was the other spy that came back with a positive report? Yeah, it was Joshua. I know you guys knew it. You just didn't say it. But, yeah, it was Joshua. Joshua and Caleb are the 12 spies that went out to spy the promised land from the wilderness. Only Joshua and Caleb came back with positive reports. And guess what? As a result, they were the only ones that were over the age of 20 that got to see the promised land. Or at least got to enter it. Moses was allowed to see it, but he couldn't enter it. So you saw the tribe of Caleb. Obviously, that didn't, uh, tribe of Judah, descendant of Caleb. Unfortunately, that did not help him in this situation. Verse 4 says, when David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep, he sent 10 of his young men to Carmel. That's where they were. That's where Nabal and his family and his ranchers and, and servants were. With this message for Nabal, peace and prosperity to you your family, and everything you own. That's a great greeting, isn't it? That sounds very peaceful, very nice, and very kind. He says, I am told that it is sheer sheep shearing time. While your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them, and nothing was ever stolen from them. Ask your men, and they will tell you this is true. So would you be kind to us since we have come at a time of celebration? Please share any provisions you might have on hand with us and with your friend David. David's young men gave this message to Nabal in David's name, and they waited for a reply. Now, let me just explain something. What's going on here is you might say to yourself, well, Nabal owed David nothing. They had no contract, no agreement. There was no written or informal arrangement written that suggests that this guy owed David anything, right? I mean, there was no agreement. They had not even ever met. So it may have been presumptuous for David to think that Nabal owed him anything. But here's the key. I want you to listen to this. The key is, is that it was a custom in the land at that time where if you were out and about, if you were able to be a part of a security detail, if you were a part of a community, you would look out for another's sheep and goat and cattle. It was just a part of the common courtesy of the land. And sometimes these men, these sort of self-appointed lawmen or self-appointed security guys would watch out for other people's sheep because there were people that would steal and raid and take stuff during this time because they knew it's when the sheep were the most developed, most ready to be sheared. So this was the time you would steal them because they had already been fed. They had already been taken care of. They had already been primed. They were now ready for market. So they had made the sheep and the goats a prime target during this time of year. So you would, ex you would be extra vigilant to watch out for your your, your sheep 
and your cattle during this time because this is when they're most susceptible to be stolen. So David did him a great service. And though there was no contract, though there was no agreement, though there was no arrangement for protection, common courtesy would suggest this guy did me a solid. I can at least break him off something. A couple sheep, some lamb chops, some steak, a few sandwiches, some fruit cakes, some oil, some wine, something to drink, whatever, right? That was just common courtesy. And so David had an expectation that at least a decent gesture would be offered. Maybe not full payment. Maybe you couldn't pay him for all that he did. He could have, I mean, they risked their lives fighting people that were bandits and pirates, land pirates. So you may not be able to pay him everything, but you should be able to say thank you and be kind. And David had every right to ask because that was a common practice of the land. This was not an unusual request. Everybody with me so far? All right. Here's what happened. Verse 10 of 1 Samuel chapter 25. Who is this fellow David? Nabal sneered to the young man. Who does this son of Jesse think he is? There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. Should I take my bread? Let me, let me just stop for a minute before I read the, the, the verse 11. First of all, everyone knew who David was. Come on. David killed Goliath. Even if you weren't Jewish, you knew about that story. <laughs> Everyone knew who David was. David's been on the run now for months, if not years, from Saul. Everybody knew he was a fugitive. Everybody knew he was a hero. They wrote songs about him. David have killed, Saul has killed his thousands, they would sing, especially the ladies. Saul has killed his thousands. And they would say, but David has killed his ten thousands. They wrote songs about him. He was a folk hero. He was, he was one of the greatest names in Israel. Everyone knew he was going to be a successor to the throne because Jonathan had been killed. So Saul had no more heirs to the throne. Unless you would add Mephibosheth, who was crippled, and that wasn't going to happen. So here is this guy saying, I don't know, David. Basically, what he was saying is, I don't recognize David's authority. I don't recognize him as being an heir to the throne. He's a vigilante. He's a, he's a, a fugitive. He's a, 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 a bad guy. I don't owe him anything. And watch what he says in verse 11. And be careful of this. He says, should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I slaughtered from my shearers? and give it to a band of outlaws who come from who knows where. First of all, let me just tell this guy, go easy on these personal pronouns because my, 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 you don't own nothing. It all belongs to God, right? I'm reminded of a guy in the New Testament who said, who said, look at me. His barns were full. He was over, over, uh, overstocked with goods and, and materials. He said, so I said to myself, I'm going to tear down my old barns and I'm going to build new barns. Remember that? Remember that particular account in scripture? The Lord said to him, you fool. Same as Nabal. His name meant the same thing. 
Tonight your soul is required of you, and then who will have your farms and your barns and your stock and your feed and your crops? Always be careful. Everything that we have belongs to God. It doesn't belong to us. Stop the my, my, my. Stop the me, 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 the I, I, I. It's God's. It's all because of his goodness. It's all because of his grace. It's all because of his kindness. Nothing that we have is because of us. Everything we have is because of him. Amen? So he drops all of these personal pronouns in verse 11 and sends these men packing Evil, just, just a mean, cold-hearted guy. Verse 12 says, so David's young men returned and told him what Nabal has said. And David talks here in verse 13. Get your swords. If that was in 2022, it would be get your guns, your Uzis, your rifles, your shotguns. <laughs> we go in and we're putting this guy down. <laughs> he said, get your swords. <laughs> Uh, this is going to be a beatdown. Get your swords, was David's reply as he strapped on his own sword. Then 400 men started out with David, and 200 remained behind to guard their equipment. Let me just say this. David has 600 men with him. He's taking 400 of them to fight this guy who probably, listen, who probably is just him, his family, and a few farmhands. He's taking 400 men. He plans on wiping them out. This is overkill. This is taking a hammer, a sledgehammer, to kill an ant. He's really going in on these guys. And by the way, let me tell you who these 600 guys are. These aren't just your average soldiers floating around. These guys are hardened Heroes in and of themselves. In this group is the great 30, David's 30 fighting men. I won't go into all of the background on them because I've talked about this before in other sermons. And also in this group is the three mighty men. Possibly in this group is a guy that I spoke about a few weeks ago, Benio, but Benaiah rather, Benaiah, the guy who killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. This guy is part, probably part of this group, along with these other great fighting men, one of which went behind enemy lines and killed many, many Philistines, and they, they did all kind of great things. These are some elite soldiers. This is like the Navy SEALs, the Army Rangers. These guys are tough, battle-hardened, proven fighters, warriors, guys that... Or could take on Saul's army. And he's taking two-thirds of them to wipe out a plantation. He said, there will be no men alive, but may God do to me, or worse, if there's a male alive. Here's, let me just read exactly what he says. Me, um, well, he's going to say it later on, but he's basically saying that he's going to kill them all. His exact quote, I want to give you his exact quote because he says in verse 22, I'm jumping ahead. May God strike me and kill me if even one man of his household is still alive tomorrow morning. That's verse 22 of 1 Samuel chapter 25. David means business. So listen to this. Let me go back to, let me go back to where I left off. In verse 14, it says this. And, and to me, 
this guy could have been the hero of this particular account because he possibly was the one that saved the day, and his name is not given, as is the case often with unsung heroes that come in at the last minute and do a great thing. It says in verse 14, Meanwhile, one of Nabal's servants went to Ab Abigail and told her, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed insults at them. These men have been very good to us, and we have never suffered any harm from them. Nothing was stolen from us the whole time they were with us. In fact, day and night, they were like a wall of protection to us and the sheep. Isn't this amazing? This is what David did on his own. He didn't even know this guy. He didn't know what a jerk this guy was. He probably, he may have had second thoughts about being so kind to him and protecting his people and his property had he known what kind of person Nabal actually was. But without even knowing who he was, David offered this protection. I love this. It says, these men have been very good to us. We never suffered any harm from them. Nothing was stolen from us the whole time they were with us. In fact, Day and night, they were like a wall of protection to us and the sheep. You need to know this and figure out what to do, for there is nothing, for there is going to be trouble for our master and his whole family. He's so ill tempered that no one can even talk to him. Actually, he says something even worse than that. He called him a fool, he called him Belial in the uh, King James Version, a worthless fellow, it means. In Hebrew he really spoke bad and what what an amazing thing that he was able to speak that um, he was able to speak that disrespectfully of his master to his master's wife and she agreed with him whoa <laughs> that's a whole story in and of itself but this guy to me is amazing because he saved the day Abigail knew nothing about this exchange so the servant told her and said, I believe this is going to be trouble. And isn't it amazing to you that the Lord must have spoke to him because no one, none of David's servants said, if you don't give us this, we're going to come and destroy you all. I think the servant just picked up the idea as disrespectful as Nabal was to David's 10 young men. And that message getting to David, I believe this servant had the wits about him to understand this means nothing but trouble. We got a problem. David's not going to take this lightly. Great discernment. Great thinking. Because that allowed Abigail to go into action. And that's exactly what she did according to scripture. He, she went into action. Verse 18 says this, Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of, mastered, of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 fig cakes. Now, by the way, that wasn't even going to be a dent for what these guys needed to eat. But that's what she could scrap together right then. Imagine. Imagine how wealthy they are that she had this much food just laying around. <laughs> she, just, she could just pull this together. So these are very, very wealthy people that she could pull all this together without her husband even knowing and pack them on donkeys and, let, and started heading toward David. Talk about God working. A, the fact that the servant told her we could have a problem. Your husband, 
our master sent a ridiculously provocative message to David, and that's going to be a war. Number two, you need to do something quickly. Number three, she listened to him. And number four, she had this much food, basically enough food to feed a small army just laying around the house. Fortunately, it was shearing time because maybe they were preparing for a big party or festival, which they did have that night. But the fact that she had that available is another blessing in God's providence. And then she went to meet David. Now, I've never been to Israel, but I've seen stuff online, and I understand a little bit about geography. What are the chances that the direction you're going will be the direction he's coming? Because I can't imagine, you know, you could crisscross in the night. You could, you could be a mile away and still not see the person. But perhaps the Lord gave her direction to go this route so that she would intercept David coming this way. Again, God's providence, God's sovereignty, God intervene. When your heart is in the right place, God can do great things for us. When your heart is about making peace, about bringing about reconciliation, about bringing people together, about resolving conflict, about getting rid of evil and letting good come to the forefront, God is a part of that. Be a peacemaker. God says, blessed are the peacemakers in the Beatitudes, for theirs is the kingdom of God. If you're the kind of person that looks to make peace, you are a blessed person. Favor is on you. Blessing is coming your way. See, people always think you got to be up front. Ministry that's in the front of the church, ministry that's singing, preaching, playing, whatever, uh, being an usher, being a missionary, being, being a, on the deacon board. Guess what? You can do great things without a title. You can do great things without a pulpit. You can do great things without a microphone. God blesses peacemakers, people that bring about peace, resolution, erase conflict. Deal with tension and division. That is a gift and a blessing and a calling by God. Abigail wasted no time. I love that. She just jumped right on. What a beautiful woman. Inside and out. What a beautiful woman. What a beautiful spirit. The Bible says in verse 21, David had just been saying out loud, I imagine, a lot of good it did to help this fellow. We protected his flock in the wilderness, and nothing he owned was lost or stolen. But he has not re he has repaid me evil for good. May God strike me and kill me if even one man of his household is still alive tomorrow morning. That's verse 22. When Abigail saw David, watch this, verse 23. I'm almost done. When Abigail saw David... She quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. Let me just tell you something. It's just a beautiful thing. Humility, when you're humble, to say I'm sorry, to say will you please forgive me, that's a beautiful thing in that she is asking for forgiveness. Wait, listen to this, everybody. For a sin, for a crime, for an act that she did not commit even. She didn't even see it. She didn't witness this. 
people always think, well, you have to ask forgiveness. You know, you have to, I, I don't owe them uh, an apology. I didn't say anything to them, or I didn't do anything to them. She wasn't a part of it either. This is intercessory forgiveness. This is, this is forgiveness for asking for forgiveness for something that she wasn't even a party to. You don't have to, you don't have to have been offended directly or even justly to try to make peace and to apologize and to ask for forgiveness. Whenever you see an opportunity to do good, to do the right thing, don't worry about who's guilty or who's at fault or who committed the act. You do the best that you can to make peace. God puts the incumbents upon us. If you know to do good and you do it or not, the Bible says, to him it is sin. Amen? I'll tell you what else the Bible says. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 regarding love, it says love keeps no record of ill committed against him. Love doesn't keep score. I don't care if you forgave me, if I forgave you 25 times and you only forgave me three times. I'm not keeping score. I'm not trying to track who's at fault or who did the most bad or who made the most mistakes. Who cares? If there's an issue, let's address it. Let's be at peace. Let's win my brother. Let's win my sister. Let's reconcile. I love the other passage in Matthew that says, when you come to the altar and you see, you remember, you remember, you remember that your brother has an alt against you. Not that you have an alt against them. You just know that there's something amiss, that the air is not clear between you and someone else. It says stop. It says stop. Leave your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled to your brother and then come back and present your offering. God says the same thing when it comes to taking the Lord's table. That we're, when we take the Lord's table, that we're to reconcile with our brothers. That we're to make sure that we observe the Lord's table worthily is the language that it uses. Amen? You all with me on this? Oh, I just love this lady's spirit. I love, I, boy, I want this heart. I want this heart that she has. And listen to this speech, and I'll close. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. Granted, she ain't done nothing wrong. She wasn't even there. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all the blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. By the way, she used the word Lord, lowercase L-O-R-D. Depending on the translation, the one I read, she used it 14 times. 14 times she referred to David as Lord. Lowercase L, not Lord God, not Lord Yahweh, not Lord Elohim, Lord as in master, my superior. She used it, the term I, I read in Hebrew would, would be translated as the equivalent of saying, sir, my master, my overseer, my boss. She's never met this man, but you see the deference? You see the respect? You see the not coming with an attitude, not wagging her hand and shaking her head. <laughs> but
like some of us, like, who do you think you are coming? You, you know, she could have came with an attitude. How dare you? It was my husband's prerogative not to offer you anything. He didn't ask you to guard his sheep. She could have come with an attitude that just says, how dare you? Who do you think you are? You're supposed to be a man after God's own heart. How are you going to come after my family? We didn't do anything to you. She could have had that approach, ladies and gentlemen. You know why I know that? Because sometimes we have that approach. <laughs> I don't have to read it. I know it's true because I know how we are. But she had an attitude that is amazing. It's godly. It's divine. It's excellent. It's Proverbs 31-esque. That's what she is. She's a Proverbs 31 woman. She says, please listen to what I have to say. By the way, she was taking a great risk, woman or man. You coming up against 400 elite soldiers? David got these guys. They were in debt. They were on the run. Some of them were fugitives of the law. Some of them were convicts. Some of them were vagabonds, stowaways. These were not your well-dressed, well-spoken top of the shelf, so to speak, guys. David's mighty men had been through a mighty lot. They were not the most polished professional men in the world. David was teaching them to become that. David was teaching them to become elite. But he just collected whoever wanted to hang out at the cave of Adullam. He was just collecting these strays saying, hey, who was on the Lord's side? <laughs> who want to fight with me? Right, Rod? He's just collecting guys that just walk up and say, hey, David, can I run with y'all? <laughs> can I be on your side? Because, you know, I, Saul, Saul has no love for me. Saul doesn't want me. I can't even get a job in Israel. So can, can you hook a brother up? These were the kind of men that David was collecting. So this lady took her life in her own hands to come out before these guys. She didn't know of any of their reputations except David. And so the Lord was obviously leading her and giving her this amazing divine courage to approach these hungry, mean, angry, vengeful, bloodthirsty men. And so she comes and says, I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay, him, pay any attention to him. He is a fool, just as his name suggests. But I never even saw the young men you sent. I want to just stop right there and just say this. Sometimes the Lord gives us the, in, the, in, the discernment, the instinct to know, don't, if you know the source, don't lose your head over a person that's, that's not worth getting in a fight over. If you know some people have ill tempers or short of patience or they may have a surly attitude, don't engage them the same way you would someone else. You, God gives us, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He teaches us. 
to do what is right. He leads us into all truth. You approach everyone differently. If a person has a short fuse, you don't come to them the same way you would a person that is peace-loving and easygoing and casual, right? That's just common sense. You don't get all up in arms and treat everybody the same way. You have to be tactful. You have to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. You have to use your God-given intelligence, your God-given discernment. She was just saying, pay no attention to Nabal. Consider the source, David. This guy is a knucklehead. Don't go to war. Don't go and commit murder, mass murder, over a guy that's not worth it. Let cooler heads prevail. This is amazing wisdom. Ladies, do you hear this? This is just, you, you have the ability to talk sense into your husbands, into your sons, into your uncles, into your brothers. Sometimes we are just boneheaded about things, and we need that calming voice of wisdom that says, take it down a notch. Take a deep breath. Take a step back. Just chill. Is it worth getting into this? Because it's just going to escalate matters and make things worse, which it would have. Because David would have ended up being a mass murderer. It would have been a stain on his reputation. It would have tarnished his royalty as king. It would have been with him for the rest of his life. It wouldn't have been something that would have been good for the men following him as an example. And Saul could have used it against him and say, see, I told you he was a rogue agent. Look, he's out killing innocent people over a sheep. How can you trust him to be the king over a nation and he can't even manage his 600 men and leave innocent citizens alone? It would have been a bad look, right? Boy, thank you, Lord, for using Abigail. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us this lesson this morning. May someone hearing me learn from this. May this give us wisdom on how to deal with, with problem people how to deal with problem situations. Amen? I pray that this is a, a lesson for us, that we don't lose our heads and do something rash and stupid and, and, and spontaneous that could ruin, that could hurt our reputation, could hurt us the rest of our lives. This is a very serious lesson. It's not a necessarily a jump and shouting lesson, but I tell you, it's a lesson with a lot of good common sense on how to deal with situations that are difficult and how to deal with difficult people and difficult circumstances. This little lesson hidden away, tucked away in 1 Samuel 25, can instruct us and inform us that could be life-changing. Amen? I promise you, I'm almost done. It says here, in verse 26, as we wrap it up, now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands. By the way, the Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. It's our job to let the Lord take vengeance in our situations. Amen? Because when we do it, we just make a mess of things and it gets worse. Trust me, it does. 
The Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands. Verse 26 says, let all your enemies and those who tried to harm you be as cursed as Nabal is. Wow. I hope Sister Marie never feels that way about her husband. Because she is really, she is really, she is not supporting him right now. But nor should she, right? I mean, he's responsible for inciting this, what could soon be a massacre because of his selfishness and stupidity and flippancy when, he recall, when it comes to helping people out. It says, let all your enemies be as those who try to harm you, as cursed as Nabal is. And here is a present that I, your servant, have brought to you and your young men. Please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty, for you are fighting the Lord's battles. Boy, so many good messages here. This lady is definitely being inspired by the Lord. He's given her these words to say, which are amazingly excellent words, God-given words. And you have not done wrong throughout your life, entire life, even when you are chased by those who seek to kill you. So she was aware that Saul was after him. She was aware of that. Your life is safe in the care of the Lord. This is almost a pro prophecy. This is not just a statement. This is like a prophetic message to David. She's given David wisdom, given David the benefit of her wisdom, but also her knowledge of God. You can tell the theology that she has here, how she's explaining these principles. These come from the Lord. This comes from a relationship of a lady that I believe was a praying lady, a lady that knew the Lord, a lady that had an intimate relationship with the Lord. She's dispelling things to him that could only come from God. How else would she know this? She's out here in the boonies somewhere, you know, far from a synagogue or a temple, and she's talking about these things as though she is a preacher, a prophet, or a priest. She says, even when you are chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord, your God, secure in his treasure pouch. But the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. You can't tell me that that's not the imagery of her remembering what he did to Goliath. This is just straight from the Goliath and David textbook. She's using this analogy as a refresher, just like you shot Goliath with that one stone from your slingshot. So will God do to your enemies. Wow. When the Lord, I'm, verse 30, when the Lord has done all he promised and has made you leader of Israel, don't let this be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done these great things for you, please remember me, your servant. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. What a picture, what a, amen. What a, what a, what a picture of Jesus. What, what a picture of Jesus as he offered himself a sacrifice for sinners, for us. What, what a picture of Jesus who, who, who took the, the guilt and the punishment for our sins and died on the cross at our place. What a picture of Christ as, as she is, is showing really uh, propitiation. You know that word that we hear about, 1 John 2 talks about propitiation. Uh, Brother Beecham, when he taught 
uh, in Galatians talked about propitiation. That word propitiation is just simply an, an appeasement or satisfaction of, of a wrongdoing, specifically toward God. Uh, propitiation is also two acts. It really involves appeasing the wrath of God, but it also means that we reconcile with God. We don't just get the punishment that we're due. We become friends and partners with the person that we offended. Oh, my goodness. Only our God can do that. What a mighty God we serve. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture. David said to Abigail, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. David is just blessing this lady for being just an amazing woman, for not seeking, for not, uh, for helping him not to seek vengeance, as it says in Romans 12, 19, because vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Deuteronomy 32, 35 says essentially the same thing. This woman stepped up and kept him from making a major, major mistake that he would have to live with the rest of his life. Here's my Monday morning moment. My Monday morning moment that I want you to remember tomorrow if someone asks you what the sermon was about today. You can say, well, here it was. David was a godly man and a gifted leader, but even the best men are but men at their best. Even the best men and women are but men and women at best. Even if you're godly, even if you're gifted, you still have to be on guard and be careful. God had just allowed David to escape Saul all these times without being slaughtered. And he's on this spiritual high as we are at times. And here comes the enemy just like a roaring lion, the Bible says. Peter says, be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom may devour us, 1 Peter 5, 8. And it means that be careful because the devil is always trying to take us down. He's always trying to take us out. He's always trying to disqualify us or eliminate us from God's best. Be careful, especially when you've just had a spiritual revival, when you've been on a spiritual mountaintop, when you've been on cloud nine spiritually. Be careful. Watch out. Watch your back. Because the enemy is like a roaring lion. He's always trying to take us out. John in Revelation 12 said that the devil is an accuser of the brethren and he accuses us before the father day and night. You have to always be on guard. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. The enemy is always trying to take us down, take us out, or at the minimum, at the minimum, he's trying to compromise the efficacy of our testimony. He's trying to compromise our validity, our integrity. Be careful. Amen? Amen. David was a godly man and a gifted leader, but the best men are but men at their best. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we ask you to teach us to be like Jesus. Help us to let the Holy Spirit rule in our lives that we might do those things that are pleasing in your sight. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.